As we come to Mark chapter 4, what we see is Jesus give one of the largest sections of teaching that we have in the gospel of Mark. Teaching is a heavy emphasis for Mark's gospel. Um, We've seen that Jesus has taught before, but for the most part, as we have walked through Mark's gospel to this point, we've only seen Jesus teaching, but it's been in the context of the narrative that Mark is telling us. So as Mark has been walking us through his gospel, he has been telling us these these stories about what Jesus did in, in healing people and casting out demons. And there has been some teaching referred to there, uh, but for the most part, we've not had a lot of that teaching. But that changes when we get to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And so I invite you this morning, if you would and are able to stand with me in reverence to God's word as we begin reading in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and set in on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the one who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. You may be seated. Very often when Jesus taught, he taught 
in a literary form known as parables. We have the kind of the first one that we've come to here, the first main parable that we've come to in Mark's gospel. And it is one that we probably, if you've been in church for very much of your life, you've heard it before. We often refer to it, and you may see it referred to in your Bible as the parable of the sower. As we dig into this parable and as we look at Jesus' teaching, it may be more appropriate to understand it as the parable of the soils. Actually, the sower gets very little attention. But for us, this morning, as we are looking at this parable, the sower is one that probably most of us should pay good attention to. This parable tells us a lot about our job, our responsibility as believers in Christ. I think it's very fitting that we would come to this parable on the day that John and I are talking about going to El Salvador to preach the gospel. It was one of those strange moments this week. I had begun doing some reading for another project that I'm thinking about, and I was reading about, I guess this kind of shows what my job is in my profession. I was reading about ancient Jewish um, teaching and ancient Jewish philosophy on education. Anybody else do that this week? That didn't, didn't figure as much. So I was reading that that Jewish, ancient Jewish teaching philosophy, there was this concept that there were four types of students. As a matter of fact, in, in Jewish teaching, especially, and I'm talking even before Christ, there was this concept that in, in most things that went on, there were kind of four responses that could come out of them. And three of them were wrong, and only one was correct. And in part, in this Jewish philosophy, this Jewish understanding, there, there were some people who would go a little ways in their understanding, in their teaching, and in their learning. They would learn a little bit, or they might learn a little bit about something else, or they might learn just enough to get started. But there was very few that actually learned everything and they learned it in the proper way. Sometimes they would, they would learn a lot, but they would learn it incorrectly. Or sometimes they would have really good habits in their learning, but they wouldn't really take away from it what they were supposed to. And so then... As I got later in the week and I opened up my Bible and I began to study, I, it had not dawned on me that this Sunday was the parable of the sower. And it was striking because here I had been learning about this Jewish philosophy which Jesus is coming out of and how people learn and how people respond to teaching. And I open up my Bible and here Jesus employs four examples and three of them are wrong. But the interesting thing is two of them are not all wrong. So we'll see that as we go through, that, that as we have been called as Christians, 
is we have been called to preach the gospel. There's going to be a lot of different ways that people respond. But there's only one way that's correct. Look, as we begin in verse 1, he, we have this introduction that Mark gives us. He begins to teach, Jesus does, and he does so beside the sea. And there's this large crowd that has gathered around him. And it's so much of a crowd that Jesus is forced to back up from the seashore. He's forced to get into a boat and kind of float out on the water. And there he sits down and he begins to teach them. And you think about what it would have took for Jesus to have taught to this very large crowd. And he's out on the water. Now most likely the place that he is teaching is kind of naturally made for that type of thing. The, the, the uh, terrain is such that people can stand there on the seashore, maybe on the hill beside the ocean or the sea, and listen to Jesus begin to teach. But remember, there's no microphones. There's no PA system. Everyone is sitting there, and they're being very attentive. They're listening. So Jesus is in the boat, and he sits down, and he begins to teach to them. We know he taught more than this. There's a lot more even included after this. But he tells them first this parable that we refer to as the sower. The Bible says in verse 2 that he's teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them. So a part of it, there's a lot more going on. But this is the central focus that Mark gives us. That his teaching was on this particular parable. And he begins this particular parable by saying very firmly, listen. He's calling their attention in so that they would be completely focused on what he is saying. And you and I should do that sort of thing when the word of God is speaking to us. We need to tune out other things and listen to this. Jesus wants them to know that what he's about to say is going to be very important. As a matter of fact, in verse 9, when he finishes telling the parable, he comes back to that first notion again when he says, and he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, again, if you're doing your read through the Bible in a year, you may read that one word, listen, with an exclamation point. If you're using the same translation I do, yours may say verily, verily, or, or something again of that nature. This is where your ears should perk up. This is where you, if you've been reading for a while, need to kind of adjust your vision and, and, and adjust your mind and come back to what you're doing instead of just reading through the words, because Jesus is about to say something important. And I believe that this parable of the sower is fundamentally important for our understanding of evangelism and human nature. Because as I began to read this parable, and then as I began to read about its context and read how others had dealt with it throughout history and, and thought through this parable. It, it encouraged me because it, it shows us the sovereignty of God. So let's look at the parable itself, and then we're going to look at its explanation that Jesus gives. 
So what happens? Four things happen. There is this guy, he is known to us as the sower, and he goes out into his field and he begins to scatter seed. That doesn't seem to be that impressive, right? That's pretty common. But he's just throwing it out. We just get the impression that he's just scattering it everywhere. There was some practice that went on in the time that Jesus is talking where you would actually scatter your seed and then you would go back and plow over your field so that everything would be buried. It didn't happen all the time, but that may be what Jesus is talking about. And so the guy's out and he's just throwing the seed out and he's got it in his bag and he just pulls it out and he's scattering it out everywhere. Well, when you do that, you're not going to have nice, neat rows You're not going to have everything real orderly. There's going to be some of your seed that works and some of it that doesn't, right? We can, you don't have to have lived in the society that Jesus lives to understand that's what's going to happen, right? So if you're just throwing it out everywhere, some of it's going to land on the road, some of it's going to land over in the bushes, some of it's going to land anywhere, and that's what begins to happen. So some of the seed we see falls alongside the road or alongside the path. It's real easy to spot. It's just laying there. And we're told that the birds come. This is verse 4. The birds came and devoured it. That's what happens when you just throw it out. Sometimes it's not going to do anything. Someone's going to come by and get it, or or it's going to land on a hard road, or it's going to land somewhere and it doesn't get buried, and the seed's not going to take. Then verse 5. Other seed fell on rocky ground. So the ground's kind of hard. We get this picture that there's this, this thin layer of dirt, and then under it is, is kind of rocky, hard ground. And so a good seed, you need it to, to get buried a little bit deep so that it's got a good place for roots to take hold, but that doesn't happen here. It, it's very shallow soil. He says it immediately sprang up. It comes up very quickly, but it had no root. And when the sun comes up, verse 6, it withers away. Other seed, the guy's throwing it out, right? He's just scattering it out everywhere. So some of it goes over in the, wo- the bushes, over in the weeds. And it starts to grow up, but it kind of gets choked out. If you drove by my garden this summer, this was my garden at the end of the summer. Like the weeds took over. And you had to go through the weeds to try to find anything, if there was anything there. This is what happens. Now, last seed, some of it, because the guy is not incompetent, right? He's not an incompetent farmer. He's not the worst farmer ever. So some of it falls on good soil, and it says it sprouts up. Verse 8, and other grain fell into good soil and produced grain, or other seed fell and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So 30-fold was pretty good. 60-fold was really good, and 100-fold basically would have made his audience perk their ears up. Wow. Not only was this guy pretty good, but we want to get farming advice from him. Because somehow he threw this stuff over in the road, he threw some of this stuff over in the bushes, he threw some of it where there was a bunch of rocks, and he still got 100-fold production. So that sounds really nice, right? And so you and I hear that story, and... Okay, Jesus told him a nice story. 
we might not understand what it means. We're fortunate in this parable in the fact that Jesus gives us the meaning of the parable. But before he does, before he gives us the meaning, we have this little interlude here that begins in verse 10. Because, see, his disciples hear this, and they sort of walk away from it like you and I might. Because if we just had the parable, and we had no instrument for interpreting it, we may not come away from it with a proper meaning. And so his disciples are confused, and they come to him in verse 10. And they ask him about the parables. And he says to them, verse 11, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. This is where we run into in this text one of the, the most difficult portions of all of the gospel of Mark in understanding. Because we're about to read a passage here, you see it in your Bible in the next two verses, from Isaiah chapter 6. And if you know anything about Isaiah chapter 6, you may not realize that you do, but it's, it's one of probably the most famous passages in Isaiah. Isaiah goes into the temple and he sees God. And he's mesmerized by what he sees. We have this picture of the, the train of God's robe filling up the temple and God's presence filling up the temple. And there are angels flying around. And Isaiah is dumbstruck by what he's witnessing in front of him. And when he gets to the end of, of this vision, God asks for someone to go and to preach to the people. And Isaiah says, God, here am I. Send me. And so then he asks God, or rather God sends him. But if you get a chance, and I encourage you to go back, and maybe you'll do this in your lag times, you, you can look in Isaiah chapter 6. You'll see that what God tells him to do is to go preach to people that aren't going to listen. Now that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? He tells Isaiah, I want you to go preach to people who aren't going to listen to you. Now, there's plenty of preachers who would say, I do that every Sunday. It's not a big deal. But Isaiah is given a grave message. And he's told to go preach it, even though no one's going to listen. And Jesus quotes that passage here. When he says, to you who are a part of God's family, who you, you who are a part of the kingdom, you have understanding. But to everyone else, I'm speaking in parables. Why? So that, this is verse 12, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. For 2,000 years, this verse has caused trouble to people in the church. Why? What's it saying? It sounds like it's saying that Jesus is speaking in parables so that some people will not understand him and turn to him. 
And for 2,000 years, people have tried to soften the blow of this passage. Because that sounds, this doesn't sound like Jesus. It doesn't sound like something Jesus would say or Jesus would do. And yet he's quoting Isaiah where God says that very thing to Isaiah. But he's not saying here that he's speaking in these parables, which are, are hard to understand. The parable of the sower is much easier than some of the others that you will encounter in the gospel. He's not saying that he's saying these things, that he's speaking in parables so that people won't understand and they can't be saved. But he is telling his disciples very clearly that unless people have faith, unless they believe, when they hear these parables, when they hear him teaching about the kingdom of God, it'll be his foolishness to them. And it was, right? I mean, look throughout the Gospels. You see these religious leaders, they hear Jesus Jesus teaching, they hear Jesus talking to other people, and they don't get it. They don't want to get it. They reject it. They push it away. And Jesus is saying to those people, there's going to be no understanding. They're just not going to understand the things of God. But to the disciples, to those who are following after Jesus... He says this. He said to them, verse 13, Do you not understand this parable? That had to hurt a little bit, right? Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Before we go through these four, This should be a caution to us that when we come upon parts of God's word that we don't understand, and they exist, if you don't think they exist, you're either a lot smarter than I am and a lot of the people I read or you just haven't read far enough to find the hard parts. There's stuff in there that is hard to understand. It's just hard to get through. It's hard to wrap your mind around. But what should challenge us and push us on is if we ever get comfortable in not understanding something God has said. That should break our hearts. We should not be comfortable not understanding something God, that God has said. I'm not saying that we're going to figure it out. I'm not saying we're going to get all the answers. But if we've just become comfortable never thinking and exploring what God has said in his word, we should be, we should be upset by that. I've been teaching through Genesis on, on Sunday nights. And we've come to plenty of places where I, I just don't understand it. And I just don't know if it can be understood completely. That doesn't mean that I want to have a place in my life, a time in my life, where I'm still not curious and interested in understanding what God has said. He challenges them here. How do you not understand this parable? You've been walking with me. You've been following after me. I've been teaching these things. How do you not understand this? We should be challenged by that. Because I've met far too many people in my time working in churches that were simply satisfied being ignorant about things that God has said. 
And that is a cheap and shallow faith. We should want to know more and more and more about what God has said and who He is. We should want to know more about the one who has made us in His image. And He has sent His Son to die for us. Let it not be said of us what Jesus is saying to His disciples. How do you not understand? Let it not be from a lack of trying. But in his compassion, he gives them an interpretation. The interpretation. And he doesn't do that for every parable. But we're fortunate in the fact that he takes the time with his disciples to walk through what he means in this parable. And it's paramount that we understand this explanation that he gives in verses 14 through 20 because this explanation helps us to understand our role in this parable. Because the question you would have before you is, if you're listening to this, where, where do I fall? Where am I at in this parable? So before we go into the four soils, I want to tell you where you're at in this parable. If you know Christ... If you know Christ, you're the sower. You say, well, I thought Jesus was the sower. I always thought Jesus was the sower. You're right. Jesus is the sower. And so are you. You say, well, no, I've cheated, Pastor. I went to the end, and I read verse 20, and I'm the good soil. Okay. Okay. I want you to leave here in a few minutes understanding that you're the sower. Let's start. Verse 14. How, he's asking him, how do you not understand this? I'm going to give you the explanation. First, verse 14, the sower sows the word. So the sower sows the word. Sower's the one who's out there in the field and he's he's got his bag of seeds and he's he's just throwing it out. There's there's some urgency here with the sower. He's he's wanting to just get get it out. Get this this seed out. Get it get it spread. He's not he's not going through and and putting one little bit here and then going to the next place. There's this urgency that he has in just spreading this seed out anywhere he can get it. And it has to fall one of four places. The first place that the seed, which we've been told now by Jesus is the word, the first place that the word falls is the along the path people. We see that in verse 15. The along the path people. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. These people simply do not respond. The spreading of the word in their life, the seeding of the word into their soil has no effect on these people. They reject it. 
Jesus says that Satan comes and he takes it away from them. They refuse. They refuse to believe. It, it simply has no effect on them that the word has been sown in their life. They could be sitting in a service like this and they could hear God's word preached to them and it would just simply have no effect. They simply didn't care. It never even penetrated their heart. It was, it was spread out there and they just rejected it. It's a strange thing to think. But if you've been in ministry very long, if you've been a Christian very long, you have encountered many, many, many of these people. You can sow and you can sow and you can sow. You can give God's word. You can share God's word. You can present God's word. You can give them however you want to say it. You can put God's word in front of them and they just, they don't want it. They just reject it. Every time, every time they encounter it, every time it is there, Satan just takes it away. It has no effect on them. It's a pretty drastic statement by Jesus. It, it's, it's hard to think about, frankly, that there are people out there who simply don't want to hear God's word. And I don't want us to think that we are somehow limiting this to just foreign people with other religions. There's people here. There's people you've witnessed to. There's people I've witnessed to that they just continually reject God's word. Now, we need to be careful here. We don't know where these people fall in this list. We don't know what God is going to do in someone's heart. But in our experience, we have seen this happen. We've seen people just, they don't want any part of it. This is obviously a wrong response to the word. But these along the path people, they exist and they, their reaction is heart-wrenching, but it's simply the way it is. Second, we have the people we find in verses 16 and 17. These are the rocky ground people. And quite frankly, this is where the people become more confusing. Look what he says in verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. That sounds good, right? If we stop in verse 16, if we don't read on, if we don't look at the context, that sounds good. They hear the word of God and they immediately receive it with joy. exactly what we want, isn't it? That's what we want people to do. We want people to hear the word and we want them to receive it with joy. But it doesn't stop. Look in verse 17. But the cares of the world, I'm sorry, uh, verse 17, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arrives on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Your Bible may say stumble. These people receive God's word with joy. We seem to have some life in them. There there's, seems to be something taken, taking place. They, they receive God's word with joy, 
but their roots do not go very deep. They endure for a while, but when hardship comes, they stumble. Again, I don't know how long you've been in church. Maybe this is your first time ever stepping foot in a church. But 31 years of church now, this sounds really familiar. Think about the number of people who, who come to a revival service, who, are, who come down on a Sunday morning and, and they're, they're just full of emotion and they're, they're crying and they're, they're having this, this powerful emotional experience. And then three months, six months, a year down the road, you can't find them. They, they have this reception of the word, and they do so with joy, but, but, but they never grow very deep. Their roots never grow very deep, and they, they don't last very long. See, everything for them was built up in that emotional response, and quite frankly, an emotional response to the gospel is not a saving response to the gospel. It's a heart response that causes us to be saved. It's, it's receiving the, the grace and forgiveness that God has given us. It's turning from our sin and believing in Christ. It's not crying. It's not feeling good inside. I'm not saying those things don't happen. I remember one time I was speaking at a camp and I had given... An invitation, and it wasn't exactly the invitation that the camp director wanted me to give because I wasn't really looking for emotion. We did emotion later in the week, and that didn't work out real well. I was looking for a response to the gospel. And this young man came forward. He was 10 or 12 years old, and we began to talk. And I, I said, wow, why did you come forward? And he said, I... I want to be saved. And I said, what does that mean? And he began to explain to me the gospel. And I thought, this is the guy. I said, I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to pray. And guess what he prayed? He prayed the gospel. And it was wonderful. And guess who was crying? Me. I was bawling. Because this young man understood what Christ had done for him. And understood that he, even at his young age, and I'm not saying he understood everything, but I'm saying he understood enough to ask Christ to forgive him without me giving him this formula. And guess what happened? Later in the week, we did it the other way. All these people came forward. It was, it was just amazing. It would have been like everyone in this room. So we began to talk to these young children this time, some Six and seven, eight. Why, why did you come forward tonight? And the first little boy told me, well, because my friend walked to the front. I said, well, what are you wanting to do? I want to be saved. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. And I remember sitting after the, the counselor from that church, which is actually in this community, he sat down with me afterwards and he said, he said, Pastor, I don't... I don't know if any of these boys were saved. 
He said, I don't think I can take them back and, 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 and baptize them at our church. I just don't think that's fair to them. I said, I think you're right. I said, I'm excited that they have this desire to know more about Christ and to learn more about him and, and to begin following him in their young lives. But, but I, I don't know if what they have done yet is what we would call saving faith. I don't know if they have repented and believed the gospel. Now, if you'd have lined all of those children up today and I had to take the money in my bank account and put on which one had the most saving moment, whatever you want to call it right then, I would put it on the boy who had begun to dug and plant roots in his faith. I'm not saying, maybe all of those boys in that, that evening were saved that night. I pray that that's the case. But, but I would put my confidence on the one who had begun by trying to plant his roots deep. Friends, we have too much of these rocky soil people. And the fault of that too often is us. Because we, when we have the opportunity to push the seed deeper so that the roots are planted better, we don't. Now, he says that these people, they, they turn when it comes to the tribulation that comes from following after Christ. When persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. How many of them the first time their faith is challenged in the public arena? How many times they fall away when we as, as older people have not planted seeds deeply in our younger people and they are confronted with the secularism that is prevalent in our society? They're confronted with that. It pushes a back against their faith and they fall away. How many times does that happen? Way too often. But I would note here, even though I believe we are responsible for so much of this by not planting seeds deeper, the Bible here puts all the responsibility on the soil. I'm saying we've got to do a better job of discipling. We've got to do a better job of teaching our kids. But the Bible puts the emphasis where? On the soil. Something about their heart. Something about the way they are. And he's, they grow up for a little while and then they fade away. When things get tough, when tribulations get tough, they can't face it. And they fade away. Then there's a third soil. We've got the along-the-path people. We've got the rocky ground people. Now we've got the thorny ground people. Verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They're those who hear the word. You notice he doesn't say they receive it with joy. So there's a difference here in the people of the rocky ground and the people of the thorny ground, but they, they receive, they hear the word, they hear it. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. They hear the word. They hear it preached. They hear it taught. 
Maybe they hear it once, maybe they hear it a lot, but they hear it. But everything else gets in the way. To me, these things are getting progressively worse. The first people just reject it. Satan steals it from them. The second group, they begin to grow, but they can't handle the persecution. These people, they hear it. But it's just not as good as other things. They hear the word, they hear the word of God, they hear what God is saying to them, they, they hear the good news of the gospel, but, but the good news of the gospel is just not as important as their money. The good news of the gospel is just not as important as their favorite recreational activity. The gospel is good and it sounds good, but it's, it's just not as good as a number of other things in their life. He says here, but the cares of this world, I I got other things to do. The gospel may be good, but I've got other stuff that's just simply more important. I got a hard life. Don't you know that, God? I, I, I like your word and everything. It's nice, but the cares of this world are so much more important. The deceitfulness of riches, he doesn't mix the words there. God, I would rather become wealthy than allow your word to be sown in my heart. God, I, I, I can do so much with my wealth. I think one of the things we have to be careful with as Christians is assuming that we can substitute wealth, even giving it away. For obedience to God. Well, God, I, I give a lot to, to your work. While all the time God's demanding obedience. He tells that to his children, correct? You know, in Israel, they're, they're giving sacrifices and, and, and they're doing such a great job with that. And he says, no, I'd rather have obedience. He says the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of riches chokes it out. He says the desires for other things enter in. You know, if you follow after God, there's going to be some things that you're going to want to do, and he's going to say no. You're going to say, well, I want to do this, or I want to do that. I want to have this relationship, or I want to do this destructive activity. And God's going to say, no, I'm more important. I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who demands your obedience. Not that thing. But Jesus says, for those who are the thorny ground people, those weeds of deceit, and those weeds of destruction, and those weeds of any other thing, they just grow right up. They grow right up. Think about the number of people who are sitting at home today in disobedience to God. Yes, understand that. Not fellowshipping. Look at the book of Hebrews. Not fellowshipping with other believers is disobedience to God. Think about how many people are sitting at home today who refuse 
to fellowship and worship with other believers because they've allowed some little weed to grow up there and become more important. They've got this huge oak tree, the book of Psalms describing it, growing up beside these powerful waters. And they're worried about this little insignificant weed and they've allowed it to ruin their relationship with this great big oak tree. They've allowed this little worthless thing to choke it out. You know, again, I go back to my gardening expertise. No sarcasm. By the end of the summer, you know, the weeds had overtaken the garden. And we would occasionally walk through, you know, just to see if anything made it. Did anything survive? You know, it's like Armageddon in my garden. We're just kind of picking up the pieces and seeing if anything survived the explosion. You know, every now and then you would find something in there. You know, you'd be digging around and, oh, look, here's something that made it. You know, for some reason those peppers, they're just really resistant. And so here's some of them. They made it through, you know, the storm of weeds. It's just completely overtaking this whole thing. That's how a lot of people treat their Christian faith or their Christian, according to this, Christian faith. You know, you can walk up to their life and you can see this garden that is covered by weeds. I mean, it's nasty and horrible. Nothing good is in there at all. It's just completely covered. And they'll, they'll wade in there, knee-high weeds, and, and reach down and find this little vegetable that has survived and try to use that. Hey, look. Look, see, I've got it all together. See, look, I'm practicing my Christian. It doesn't matter. The weeds have overtaken it. It doesn't matter. Anything that's in there is not edible at all. They'll find some, some little thing that survived and say, hey, this is, this is my Christian faith. Look, it made it through the weeds. Look, I can still have all of these weeds that are choking out everything and still have my relationship with Christ. Look, the Word is still planted in my life even though the weeds have covered over everything and you can't see it at all and it doesn't work that way. We can't be thorny soil people and still obedient to Christ because Jesus says that what will happen is it will choke the word other things is the end of verse 19 other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful say so i think there's a lot of people who are thorny ground people who come to church every sunday they're always there They're involved in stuff. But but there's no fruit because the weeds have prevailed against the Word. Friends, I want to tell you, even if you identify yourself as a good soil person, if you saw my garden in the spring, I had my tractor out there, We had laid it off. There was nothing. There was not a weed anywhere. It was just beautiful brown soil ready to be planted. But summer's a busy time. We had a baby. 
It got neglected. Go look at it now. Walk over there before you leave. Drive by as you're leaving. Look at the garden now. It's going to have to be plowed again. It's going to be a lot more work this time. I'm going to need extra gas in the tractor. It's going to take extra time to get it done. It's going to have to be plowed again, and that stuff's going to have to be turned over, and everything's going to have to be knocked down. And, friends, that's our life if we are not careful. If we are not constantly removing those weeds, we will let them grow up, and they will spread quickly. But, again, remember, if you're truly thorny soil people, Jesus gives no prescription here for going in and removing the weeds. But there's a fourth group. Verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. These people receive the word with joy and the harvest is great. They begin to reproduce. They begin to make more disciples. They begin to spread more seed. Is that not how planting works? You plant something. Where do you get the seeds for future times? You say, well, we walk down to or we go down to the hardware store and we get more seeds. Yeah, but where did they get the seeds? When, When you plant something and it grows up, it provides you with your fruit or your vegetable or whatever, but what does it also provide you with? More seed. You take the seed and you plant it again and you plant it again and you plant it again. That's how it works. So he, he says here that when, when the word is planted on the good soil, it grows up and it produces more seed and that's spread out and that produces more seed and that's spread out and it's a cycle that continues on. These people who are the good soil people, they hear the word, they accept the word, and then they produce a crop. They hear the word of God as the sower is spreading it out, as the sower is sharing the word. They hear it, and then they accept it. And then we understand that they continue to produce a crop. See, with the along the path people, it never gets started. And with the rocky ground people, there's just not much depth to what they know and understand. They have a very superficial, fake faith. The thorny ground people get choked out. But the good soil people receive the word. They accept it and produce a crop. And you say, well, pastor, I... I'm a Christian, and that would mean that I'm a good soil person. I would agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I have no doubt about that. But that's why I would say and submit to you that you should understand in this parable. Jesus' disciples understood in the parable that while they had received the word, and they were the good soil people they were receiving it, they were also the sower. And their job was going to be to go and to sow God's word. And not to try to pick and choose, okay, how is this person going to respond? I don't think they're going to respond. I'm not going to waste 
my seed there. A lot of the seed got wasted, right? For the sower, a lot of it was worthless. Three-fourths, maybe, of what he spread out was wasted and never did any good. It never helped anybody. All these other things, they, they were just false hope. You know, here you've got these little seeds that begin to grow up and they begin to do something and you're there and you're like, yeah, look, look at what they're doing, look what they're doing, and then they die. It's got to be disappointing. We planted our garden two summers ago. We had tomatoes all summer. Planted more tomatoes this year. Bigger garden. Got less stuff. That's not supposed to happen, right? I mean, obviously I don't have a green thumb. We've heard this throughout the morning. But that's not supposed to work, right? You plant more tomato plants, you're supposed to get more tomatoes. Didn't happen. Got less. A lot less. Do we know that going in? No. I wouldn't have wasted my money. I wouldn't have drove down here and bought all these tomato plants, got out and planted them all on the ground. Wouldn't have done that. Didn't know. When you plant, sometimes you don't know. You don't know what's going to come up. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if a storm's going to come. You don't know if a drought's going to come. You don't know if the animals are going to come and eat your crop. You don't know those things. You can anticipate that it might happen, but if you do, you don't know when. It's the same way as the sower of God's word that we give it and spread it and share it and understand that it's ultimately God who's working on the hearts of these people. I don't know why some people are the beside the road people who just never got it and rejected it. I don't know. I don't know why some people show this superficial faith for a little while and you think they've got it, they're, they're, they're doing something, they're growing, and then they just fall away. I don't know. If I knew the solution to that, we would, we would do something about it, but I don't know. And part of it we've got to understand is that God is the one who is changing people's hearts. Our job is to sow the seed of his word into people's lives. I don't know how it's going to take hold. I don't know when it's going to take hold. I don't know what people are going to do with it. I only know that you and I must trust that God knows, what's he's, God knows what he's doing. And I'm reminded from the passage that I'm very familiar with in Isaiah 55, that when his word is planted, it does not return void. It accomplishes everything that he intends for it. See, we are sowers. We're not soil inspectors. We're not farmers that are just trying to figure it out and, 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 and plan. We, we just need to understand this whole situation. We're just dumb. We're just dumb. We just need to pretend like we don't know anything about farming. We don't know anything. We are just out there. We've been handed this bag of seed, and we have been told to just spread it. Just spread it. And let God do the rest. See, for me, it's very discouraging sometimes when you feel like you're out there and you're spreading the seed and you're spreading the seed and you're, you're sharing and you're, you're scattering and you're, you're planting and you don't see much happen. 
It's like when you walk out to that garden day after day, when are those tomatoes going to grow? You finally come to the realization one day, maybe that plant's not going to happen. Oh, you, you put your fertilizer down, you, you watered it, you did everything you were supposed to, but maybe it's just not going to happen. But until the last moment when you have to stop, you keep working and planting and sowing and fertilizing and watering, and we need to do that. Because, friends, there's a bunch of people out there. And in the end... It may be that they're the along-the-road people. And there's going to be people who are rocky soil people. And there's going to be people who have allowed the thorns to just rule their life. But there's a world full of people out there who have good soil. And when the word is planted in their life, it will grow and multiply 30 and 60 and 100 And we just sow. I want you to know one thing as we close this morning. Some of you are here, and if we had a rating scale for soil, you're, I don't know where you're going to fall. It might be all over the place. It, it might seem as if the things of this world are keeping you from following after God's word. It might seem that you're just afraid of the difficulty that comes with being a believer in Christ. It might be that you've just for all of your life flat out rejected everything that God has to offer. Know today that if God is speaking to your heart, if he continues to speak to your heart, if he continues to push you and urge you and encourage you and help you in times you don't deserve it and continue to expose you to his word, that it may be that he wants his word planted firmly and deeply in your life. Stop running away. Stop denying God's entrance into your life. Because there are four types of people here, but there is only one good response to God. That's to come to Him, to receive Him, to be forgiven by Him, and to have new life and new hope in Him. So if you don't know Christ this morning, the one who has told us this parable, He has exposed for you the truth of His message today, that He wants His Word planted deeply inside you, and He wants to guide your life. This morning, if you don't know him, let me share with you how you can know Christ. The one who came and lived a perfect life and died in our place so that we could have forgiveness. So that when we are these people with superficial faith who have allowed the things of the world to come in between us and God. Who have rejected God that we can be forgiven of that and given new life in him. Friends, I want you to understand, you and I are sowers. See, we were the good soil. God's word firmly planted deep within us. But the expectation is that we would grow. And that what God would do in our life would be 30 and 60 and 100 times what was first planted in us. 
And now we went from being the crop that's been harvested to the one sent into the field to spread God's word, to show others his love, and to share with them the good news of the gospel. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have given us new life in your Son, Christ. As we have this time of invitation, God, I would just ask you to speak to hearts. God, I know there may be those here who do not know you. God, I pray that you would just speak to them, to show them your love and mercy, to God calls them to respond to you. God, most of all, for all those who are here, and God, the word's been planted deep in their heart. I hope that they will understand, God, that they have been called to sow your word. Not to try to pick and choose who will respond and who, who might not and who, God, won't go deep enough with you, but, God, to just share your word and trust that you will do all that you've promised. God, I believe that that knowledge is life-transforming for us because we can share you with confidence knowing that you're at work and your word will do all that you've intended. God, guide our hearts, guide our minds. And Lord God, let us be obedient to you in responding to your word in whatever way you challenge us. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. As we have this time of invitation, I would challenge you to understand that God has called us to sow his word. We live in a world that is hurting and dying. We live in a world of people that need a relationship with Christ. Can we plant the seed of his word in people's lives? Maybe we do it in a direct way and in directly sharing with them the good news of Christ. We, we must do it in the way that we live so that people can see that we are different. We must share with them this good news that we've been given. I want to challenge you to think about that, pray about that as we have this time of singing.